Happy 20th anniversary, Destiny Church. Actually, uh, it's so good to see so many Liberty University uh, alumni. My son's spiritual life director, Brody's here this morning, and we took a selfie. I already sent it to Josh. Uh, actually, I'm the very first graduate of Liberty University. Yeah. In 1973, there were only eight of us in the graduating class. It's not because of academic dis distinction. There were only eight of us. No one's name began with the A. Mine began with the B. And as God would have it, I received the very first diploma from Dr. Falwell all those many years ago. And so I'm so glad to be here and see so many uh, Liberty alumni. Greg mentioned I'm a cancer survivor. I uh, remember the day the doctor said, you have cancer, we must operate immediately. They removed a five-pound tumor from off my heart and lungs. They said if they'd waited another week, it would have been too late. Eighteen surgeries. A year and a half of chemotherapy and radiation, many days near death's door. And uh, I will never forget the day they said, you're in remission. It looks like you're going to survive. I also remember the day when 3,000 Liberty University students went to the prayer chapel. And in a 24-hour prayer chain, they called it a miracle day of prayer and prayed for God to heal me. And I believe that's one of the main reasons why I'm alive today. So uh, I'm not only glad to be here today, I'm just glad to be anywhere today. I'm just happy to be uh, alive. I uh, wrote a book about my journey and ordeal. It's back there on the table. It's entitled, Why? Answers to Weather the Storms of Life. And uh, it's free this morning because my son Josh says, Dad, people aren't going to pay you money to, to buy your book. I said, well, son, that's not very nice. He said, no, really. Trust me. He said, I saw your book on eBay for a quarter. <laughs> and he said, and it was autographed. He said, how embarrassing. <laughs> so please, please don't put a quarter back there. Just... Take the book for free so I can tell my son Josh they were all gone. Also today is the uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Millions of Christians around the world today are praying for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. On your chair is uh, an insert with some statistics and prayer requests on it. I've just got to say, one of the places in the world where the church has endeared and endured great persecution is Cuba. I've been going to Cuba uh, since 1995, and I've visited pastors in prison. I've seen persecution. I've seen them try to bulldoze down churches. And I went to Cuba with Greg... And it was a life-changing experience. They had a strategy to plant uh, a thousand house churches 
in five years. And we had to sponsor uh, and help pay the salary of 250 church planters and, and partnering with the Timothy Initiative, train all these church planters to go out and plant churches. And they would go into villages and, and communities and barrios and, and just start reading the Bible in people's homes and, and tar start telling stories. And, and I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate Destiny Church stepping up last year and providing 30 thousand dollars for church planting in Cuba not only did we meet our goal of a thousand house churches because of you we planted 2,750 house churches so far in Cuba with over a hundred thousand new Christ followers and that's because of you so give yourself a hand thank you Thank you. Thank you. Bow your heads with me, if you will, please, just for a moment. Close your eyes. I want to see if you can picture what I'm about to tell you this morning simply by uh, quoting for you a number. Are you ready? In the last 10 years, one million Christians have been murdered as a result of their faith. That rounds out to approximately 100,000 deaths per year for the last 10 consecutive years. One million people. One million Christians. One million martyrs. Can you see them? Can you visualize this massive tragedy in your mind's eye this morning. And to make it even more horrific, many of these one million martyrs have been children. Innocent little boys and girls. You may open your eyes. I'm here this morning, not by coincidence on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Speaking to a church, a millennial church that has done something significant the past year to make a difference in the persecuted church in Cuba. And I'm here to make a statement to you. We're partners together in ministry. I love that. I love Greg. I'm here to make a statement this morning. One million martyrs is more than enough. You know, when you think about it, Jesus was a martyr. And most of his followers, his, his disciples, suffered cruel and agonizing deaths. Stephen was stoned to death. James was beheaded. Philip was scourged and later crucified. Matthew was killed with an axe. 
James the less was beaten, had his brains dashed out. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Mark was dragged to pieces. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul gave his neck to the sword. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hanged in an olive tree. Simon was crucified. And only one, John the Beloved, the only apostle, escaped violent death. Every one of Christ's disciples died a violent death. Someone recently said Christian persecution did not stop with the deaths of the apostles. It has continued throughout the centuries and has grown dramatically in the last few decades. The, the devil still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He still seeks to snuff out the life of Jesus and all who call on his name. But make no mistake... Christian persecution is increasing, and one way or another it affects us all. But why is it that so many Christians seem not to care? I'll be in Syria next week. Last year, uh, last fall, my wife and I were in Williamsburg, and we were touring that old church where George Washington Thomas Jefferson worshipped and, and uh, I was sitting on the steps outside waiting for my wife who wanted to touch everything and read every plaque in that church <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these two elders of this church talk about the Middle East and one of the elders said to the other, you know what, we just need to take our bombers over there and bomb those blankety-blank Muslims all to hell. David Stravers gives us two reasons for Christians' relative lack of interest in the plight of suffering sisters and brothers worldwide. Number one, American Christians, for the most part, are not interested in anything that happens outside of the boundaries of the United States and in many cases outside the boundaries of our own little communities. And number two, he said, American Christians have no experience of persecution or suffering for their faith, which remotely resembles the experiences of many of our overseas brothers and sisters. It's difficult to empathize. Many, many, many American Christians refuse to believe what is reported because it's so far out of their experience. We sponsor a clinic on the Syrian border that sees refugees every day. It's part of a church there that we help support. And we, we pay the salaries of doctors and nurses and uh, volunteer staff come in. We buy all the meds. They see 200 patients a day. I asked them a few months ago, I said, how many new Christ followers have come to faith in this clinic in the last year? Expecting them to say two or three Muslims have come to faith. They said 1,000. I said, what is your evangelistic strategy? They said, we don't have a strategy. We just love. We just meet their needs. We just show up and love first. Versus blow them all 
to hell. I don't think Christ died on the cross so that we could blow people all to hell. A recent report stated that in the last 25 years that statistics have been really kept, persecution has reached record numbers each year. The ISIS attack on two churches in Egypt killed 47 believers, takes martyrdom out of an old musty church history books and hurls it on the front pages of our newspapers. Our friends in Syria have fled their homes once again because they believe it's just a matter of days until ISIS will retaliate to the Kurds. The report goes on to state that persecution of Christians has risen worldwide for three years in a row. In total, 215 million Christians live in countries where they are subject to hostilities ranging from social discrimination and harassment to personal violence, imprisonment, even death. Christians are now murdered in more countries than ever before and are persecuted in more countries than any other religious group. A million martyrs are more than enough. Consider the video we just saw in North Korea. As we drove over the Tumen River to go inside North Korea for the first time, our guide told us how North Koreans come to that riverbank and wait until evening to attempt a risky swim into mainland China. The border guards have orders to shoot on sight, and anyone attempting to cross the border illegally is subject to execution. Our guide then added, almost as an afterthought, he said, the Tumen River has probably witnessed more deaths than any other river in the world. Nowhere is persecution of believers more severe than in North Korea. I'm not even able to share with you the many atrocities committed against these believers there, especially the stories of how hundreds of Christ followers are executed every year. Just one instance, when a group of church leaders did not reject Christ, the police directed that a bulldozer be driven over them and crushed them to death. The government is rounding up entire families up to three generations and throwing them into labor camps. A believer can be sentenced up to 15 years in a labor camp just for owning a Bible or singing a hymn or praying or doing what we're doing here in this room this morning. And it's estimated that more than 25% of the believers are currently suffering in prison camps. There's 300,000 estimated believers in North Korea and 70,000 of them are in prison camp. But they won't be there for 15 years because the life expectancy of a Christian in a prison camp is only three years. So they all have a death sentence. And just like the American college student that came home in a coma and died a week later. These Christians are beaten. So most of them will die within three years. And so many of the Christians who go into these labor camps will never come out. 
They're starved, beaten with rods, tortured, physically tortured, psychologically. They're forced to work 12-hour days. Christian solidarity worldwide discovered recently that believers in labor camps are even used in dangerous drug trials and treated as human lab rats. Young boys are mutilated and dismembered. Girls are systematically raped. Can you imagine? Another man had been distributing Bibles throughout North Korea for years when the officers finally discovered what he was doing and they decided to make an example of him so they beat him brutally over and over again until he died. For 16 consecutive years, North Korea has been ranked the most oppressive place in the world for Christians. And though exact numbers are hard to confirm, as I said, there are about 300,000 Christians in North Korea and 70,000 in political labor camps. For my good friend and ministry partner, Charlie, that's not his real name. What he endured in prison brought him to the edge of despair. His treatment was so harsh. The pain he experienced was so severe he actually contemplated suicide. Charlie was coordinating our Bible distribution because no Bibles are printed inside of North Korea. The only thing they've ever asked me for is Bibles. They didn't ask for money. They didn't ask for cars. They didn't ask for church buildings or pews or church. They said Bibles. And so we have an elaborate Bible courier distribution from outside countries that take these Bibles in. If I tell you how, I'd have to kill you. Um, seriously. Um, some go in with businessmen in briefcases. Some go in in trucks of equipment. Um, some are uh, smuggled in on the backs of donkeys. They change up the routes and methods every day so they won't get caught. But Charlie got caught. He was released miraculously after 240 days. He was charged with espionage. He endured daily interrogations, frequent and severe beatings, and suffered intense physical and psychological torture. And his actual crime written on his paperwork was this, being a committed follower of Christ. Man, I wish every one of us could be accused of being a committed follower of Christ. The determination of North Korea officials to break Charlie's spirit and get him to deny his faith was so intense. Even a personal visit and plea by former President Jimmy Carter to gain his release was unsuccessful. And finally, after eight months of torture, Charlie was released. We don't know why, we don't know how. It's just a God thing. But his health was extremely poor. His spirits were low. And while he appears to be doing well, he's lost a tremendous amount of weight. The doctors are closely examining him for post-traumatic stress disorder. Please pray for Charlie's rapid recovery physically, mentally, emotionally. 
Amazingly, Charlie's horrific experiences have not lessened his commitment to sharing his faith. He still desires to deliver Bibles into North Korea and to help train underground church leaders making disciples to make disciples. He can't go back in North Korea any longer. But uh, from a safe place in another country, he's coordinating all the couriers who do. Pray for Charlie. That's what our North Korean brothers and sisters face simply for identifying themselves as Christians. And yet they refuse vehemently to deny Christ. And in the face of inconceivable evil, they choose to love even as they watch their loved ones, even their children being tortured, they still proclaim that God is good. Put yourself in their place. Can you imagine losing everything for the cause of Christ? Can you imagine watching your children being beaten or worse and saying God is good? I don't pretend to understand even a fraction of what these people are going through. But I know if I were in their shoes, I would want to know that someone still cares about me. North Korea needs more Bibles and more churches. That's the only thing they're asking for. And I never believed this statement as strongly and as urgently as I do now. But I've seen the need firsthand. I believe God is challenging you and me and Christians all across America to respond to the believers of North Korea. And we must ask ourselves, how long will we allow Christians to be the most persecuted people in the world until there are none left in Iraq or Syria? Until Boko Haram wipes them out of Nigeria and Hindu nationalists completely ban them from Indian society. It's long time past for feeling shocked or even feeling sorry for Christians. It's time to act. Christians all across the world must come to the aid of those who are suffering persecution because of their religious beliefs. That's what we're trying to do at World Help. That's what you're doing, Destiny Church, when you raise $30,000. Unbelievable. To help church planting efforts in Cuba, you're helping the persecuted church. And we may not be able to end a war or put a full stop to the persecution, but we certainly can do more than we're doing now. A million martyrs are more than enough. We must pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ on this international day of prayer. In the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Today, after the celebration and the sugar high, and the inflatables, and after you get back from the emergency room, <laughs> when you're at home, take that prayer request list. Find a place to get alone with God this afternoon at home and pray.
Just pray. Pray that God would raise up Christ's followers who would rally behind their brothers and sisters who suffer. And in view of the devastating circumstances they face, pray for hope. Many are sick and hungry and traumatized, so pray for spiritual and physical healing. The violence must end, so pray for peace. And don't miss this opportunity to reach forgotten people with Christ's love. Right now, the world is looking to you and me to see if we'll respond with compassion or fear. Are we going to respond with hatred or Christ's love? And we may never have another opportunity like this to reach the world with the gospel. They can kill us all day long. But we worship a God whom the grave could not hold down. And millions of Syrian, Iraqi, and North Korean refugees are staring in the face of death. They're staring in the face of uncertainty. They're staring in the face of hopelessness. So the question this morning is will you, will we be the ones to say, a million martyrs are more than enough and give them hope and give them what they're asking for. Bibles. Destiny. If Christians in North Korea, Iraq, Syria, Cuba, are willing to die for their faith, then surely Christians here in the wealthiest county in America should be willing to live for our faith. Thank you. God bless you and happy anniversary. So um, I want to share where I believe we are as a church. We're at a, um, at a very pivotal moment, I believe, in the life of our church. Some of you have wondered over this last nine months, why, is, uh, why are we always talking about becoming missional? Why are we spending so much time in the book of Ephesians? Why can't we blah, blah, blah? And, um, and I, I understand it until I hear Vernon share what he shared today. And I will tell you this. This is, this is where we get to make a decision as a church. We need to decide what we're about, what we're going to do, how we're going to live, what we're going to finance, how we're going to take part in God. I think we have a chance. I think we actually, as a church in America who knows nothing about what he just talked about, I think we have an incredible opportunity to begin to build a church that makes a difference in the world. We've, we've spent a lot of years building this foundation and, and watching many, many of you 
became Christ followers right here. For some of you, I feel so sorry for you. I'm the only pastor you've ever had. It, it's, but God's got a purpose for us. And what we just heard is that purpose. We've been given so much. We have to answer for so much. So, a lot of you have been saying, Greg, you've been talking about missional this and missional that and masterpiece mission out of Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 1, Jesus is in everything and all things. And so what does that mean? What do we do? So here's what I want you to do first and foremost. I want you to pay a price. And that price is I want you to give in an incredibly sacrificial way financially. And on Thank, what is it? Uh, November 24. We're going to receive our Thanksgiving offering. And I think it needs to be more than Thanksgiving. We are thankful, but I think it needs to be given from a heart of a church that may need to shift a little bit. We may need to give so that our heart changes. I've taught you this principle over and over. As we give to God's kingdom, our heart actually changes. And I think we are probably in need of some heart change. And so, you know, I've asked you guys to give $100,000 in this offering on November 24. But after I heard this today, I would love for us to blow that apart. I would love for us to do something that we've never done before because we need to help our brothers and sisters across the world. We think we understand Christianity. We think we understand the church, but we have one lens and it's clouded with where we live. Doesn't mean that our needs aren't there. Doesn't mean that we have people that, that, that we don't have people that need help. We do. But this is a kingdom thing. And I want us to be a kingdom church. Our future depends on that. I was going to have the, the band was supposed to come up and, and play and we do our normal thing. So here's the deal. We're going to go. They're not going to do that. So you're not doing that, guys. Um, <laughs> I want our ushers to stand at the doors today, and, and we're going to receive your regular tithes and offerings as you go out. Um, and we're going to have fun. We're going to, it's going to be a blast. I want everybody, some of you, this may be your first time here. You are invited to the picnic, and, uh, we're, but we're going to buy your love. Uh, okay, um, and, and, and I want us to enjoy today and have fun, but most of all, I want us to carry this burden with us as we leave this building today. And I pray that it will grow in a huge way in your hearts. I want us to stand and we are going to do something. And I didn't know about this, Vernon, until you sent me the email the other day about this being the day of prayer for the persecuted church. I had no idea. So we're gonna stand and we're gonna pray and solemnly, Let's leave this place giving and asking God to change our hearts. So would you stand with me? Father, right at this moment, I tried to think 
of a million people who are persecuted. I try to think of 100,000 people who will be persecuted over the next 12 months. I can't even picture it. So I, I will choose a child. Somebody's dear child. And the only way I can understand you, oh Lord, is to understand that like that child, you were martyred. You understand all of this. I can only understand salvation from where I am today. You went to the deepest, darkest place for all of humanity. Now, for whatever reason, Father, we've been planted in a land of freedom, a land of opportunity, a land that flows with in some people's eyes, with milk and honey. We live in the perfect place. And then, more than that, we live in the wealthiest place in that place. And we forget. We have no clue. And I just pray that this message grips our hearts. We pray for those people who are suffering, who are being tormented, we pray for those who will be killed, that they will be strong in their faith, and that they will trust in you before they close their eyes in earthly death. And Father, I pray that we as a church will not forget them, but in fact, we will do everything we can to serve and help them. Change us, God. Change me. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.